Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. St. Louis's Major League Soccer team has had tremendous success in its first year. St. Louis City SC achieved 17 wins, and it's earned City SC the number one seed in the Western Conference going into the playoffs. The team's first playoff game is this Sunday night. It'll be a sellout, just like with every home match this season in the 22,500-seat downtown West Stadium. Earlier this week, St. Louis Public Radio's Wayne Pratt sat down with team president and general manager Diego Gigliani, as well as Matt Seebeck, the team's chief experience officer. Gigliani started in that role in late April, after the season was underway, and Matt Seebeck has been with the club since 2020. Wayne first asked Seebeck how surprised he was with the team's success. Oh man, I mean, I think we're surprised. Um, you know, certainly on and off the field. I think St. Louis is a, is a city that's been ready for Major League Soccer for quite some time. And I think, you know, going into it, we knew uh, that it would be embraced with open arms. But I, I think it's been everything we expected and more. It's been unbelievable, the success on the field and how the fans have embraced the playing style, the personalities, um, the stadium experience. It, is, um, it has exceeded my expectations. Yeah, and this is Diego here. I, I wanted to make sure that Matt spoke first because at the end of the day, Matt's been really around here for many, many years as has been, and has been a key part of the creation of what everyone sees today. You know, I only arrived three, four months ago, had taken the decision to come even before the season had started, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really part of that journey in the same way that Matt was. So I think, you know, his level of excitement and surprise is much more much more real, much more important. You know, for me also, you know, I didn't come here expecting a first year uh, of so much success. Uh, so it, it has also been a surprise, obviously a very welcome surprise, but with any success, there also come some new challenges. Uh, so we're, we're excited about how the first year is, is, is coming to a close. Um, very, very proud of what's been done already, uh, but super uh, excited about the energy that this creates for the future. How much of an adjustment was it for you to come here while the season was already underway? I mean, it was an adjustment, but more than anything, it was also uh, an important reminder that seeing how well everything was going, that my role when arriving middle of the season was not to come and disrupt uh, a club that was performing very, very well, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, and I think that was obvious uh, from way before I arrived. Um, but you know, it's one of those cases where you have to just uh, um, listen, uh, observe, realize what's going on, um, and uh, put hundred percent of the credit where it is, which is in the people that have been leading this project f- from the beginning. So my role was really to to arrive and get to know the organization, get to know the people, build some relationships, even get to know the city and some of our external partners. I spent time with, of course, uh, journalists, but also with our sponsors that are a key part of the club, with some of the city officials. So that really gave me the ability to uh, do a quite soft landing as I arrived and let things continue to play out as they had been before I arrived. So what are some of the unexpected challenges coming into this job? Maybe you just didn't anticipate and all of a sudden there they were. I mean, I think the biggest challenge now is one of expectation management. You know, I think when uh, this club was created, there was obviously 
um, huge dreams around what this club could do. Uh, and I think no one really expected this amount of success in the first year. No? And what that creates then is an inc- sort of that, that, that bar has all of a sudden been raised for everyone. Um, and when I say everyone, it really means not just everyone in terms of kind of sports journalists were the key first audience that I think we managed to outperform. But then when you think about um, our sponsors, our fans, even our staff and our ownership, you know, everyone has seen very quick success. Um, and the reality is that sustaining success is a really challenging thing to do in any sports league. And I would say even more so in a league like the MLS, where it's built around trying to be uh, quite, um, trying to be built around competitive parity. And you can see over the life of the MLS, how many different teams have won that MLS Cup. So, you know, now our goal <laughs> becomes, how do we continue to uh, plan for a year two, year five, year 10, and try to replicate a lot of the success of this first year? When you talk about parity in MLS, I think of Austin, who did well in its first or second year and then struggles a bit, and Toronto FC, who won the Cup a few years ago and I think may have had the highest payroll in the league and doesn't even make the postseason this year. So parity is something that must be at top of your mind. Yeah, even Cincinnati's story now, you know, finishing top of um, of the regular season, winning the Supporter Shield. You know, a few years back, that was not the story that they were able to enjoy. Uh, and, and that shows that all teams do have the potential to make an impact uh, on this league. And that's exciting for fans in all cities to know that their team has a chance. Um, but it also means that those teams uh, can't rest on their laurels, no? because you may have a good uh, year one year, and then the next year you're, you're back to fight to get into a, a playoff position. Matt, I want to go back to before the season started. You did some media tours at the stadium. I was on one of those, and you were like a kid in a candy store showing this place <laughs> off, um, showing the technology that was there. One spot you walk in, grab your item, and walk out. Did that all turn out the way you expected? Was it successful? What didn't work? How do you assess all that now that we're through the season? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing some incredible validation, you know, even a year into this. Um, you know, coming out of a global pandemic, we did a lot of research, competitive analysis. We visited a lot of stadiums, visited a lot of properties that aren't in sport, but they're in, you know, location-based entertainment like Disney World and Six Flags. And we tried to really develop a formula that, that prepared us for the future. And that was, you know, an investment in technology and, and really, I'd say, variety. Um, so we have, you know, the walkout markets that you describe, Wayne, where um, through the use of cameras and sensors, you, you walk into a market, you grab what you want, you leave, you don't wait in any line at all. We have a pretty heavy investment in our our mobile app and mobile order ahead and have over 10 locations inside our stadium that support that. So it was all designed really to say, um, you know, what we saw in soccer venues was a pretty intense supply demand problem. You have two halves of play where largely people are in their seat invested in the game on the field and a 15 minute halftime in the middle of that where most venues are doing, you know, 60 to 70% of their sales in that 15 minute halftime. So we looked at that problem and said if we could if we could spread that out a little bit and provide variety and and lean into technology to solve some of those issues that we would, you know, set ourselves up for success. And I think, you know, a year into this we're we're seeing really good validation and people, you know, trying all of those different options, but ultimately spreading those lines out and getting people back to the action um, a lot faster. So um, definitely, uh, you know, still excited, but I think, you know, like technology and like our fan expectations, they 
continue to evolve as well. So uh, like Diego said, you know, on the field, we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're, we're doing the same thing at City Park as well, always looking at what's next. And what is next? I think for us, um, a lot of, you know, I'll call it high tech and high touch, you know, on the high tech side, we want to continue to invest in those those options. Um, we want to make more people aware of things like mobile order ahead. We want to get people into the stadium early, um, get them invested in the product. On the um, on the high touch side, I think we've always we've wanted the club to be a reflection of culture and community. And I think you see us investing into, you know, local food partners, local music, art, architecture, because all of those things help build a formula of pride when you walk in you know, the 31 acre district in downtown West. And so to be a reflection of community and culture, those things also have to evolve. And so the food should always change. The music should always be evolving. So I think for us, it's um, never rest on the success of, of year one. We always want to be changing and make sure if, you know, if you enjoyed season one, um, you know, you definitely got to, you're going to want to see season two as well. Everybody loves a winner. So I would assume for the role you're in, the fact the team did so well in the pitch also helps what you're doing. So you must be thinking, what happens if we don't do as well in the pitch <laughs> in the next coming seasons? I, I think we and we do, I think, you know, debate this philosophically a lot. Um, I think the the winning has supercharged it. Definitely. It's um, it's aided awareness around the region of, you know, what is this? And um, it's brought more people into our funnel. We I think on the experience side, though, we've we've designed a system that um, independent of wins and losses, we want to develop, you know, pride and smiles inside our building. And so we, you know, we measure every game. Um, you know, our fans have been so gracious in filling out surveys for us. And really what we're trying to do is understand really a net promoter score, like a lot of consumer brands would of, you know, what parts of the experience did you enjoy? And if there were some dips in that, we want to understand exactly where that is. And and really over the course of this season, um, because we have lost at home, um, but what we've seen is pretty normalized net promoter scores across win and loss experiences, which is exactly what we want to see because we don't particularly control the uh, the results inside the white lines. And I would also add, I mean, going back to that comment around expectation management, I think it's uh, clear that we will have seasons that we will lose. We will lose more matches than what we've lost this season, and that will happen. Find me any team in any sports that has been <laughs> able to be consistently successful all the time. Um, and you know that's just not uh, the reality. Um, w- what really makes me excited is before even kicking a ball, it was clear how excited the city was to receive a new sports team and specifically a new soccer team with you know a 50,000 uh, season card deposits in 24 hours, you know, breaking records across the country for that. You know, now the season has played out every single home match. We've been completely sold out in the 22,500-seater stadium. Um, and I remember uh, when I was uh, just getting to know the city and the project, one of the things that people were telling me all the time was, you know, St. Louis, the fans love their sports teams here. They love them. <laughs> in good times and in bad, they're very, very loyal fans. Um, so I, I'm fully um, uh, hopeful that that will uh, continue helping the team perform because that um, connection between sports team and fans really does help drive success on the pitch. And of course, success on the pitch helps drive more and more of a virtuous circle. What was the appeal about coming to St. Louis considering your background? 
Yeah, there was there were several different things that made it a great opportunity. Uh, I think first of all, uh, it's about the club, no? and the club. There's so many different things about it that made it a really exciting opportunity. Obviously, it's a brand new club, so the ability to to make an impact on the first few years of existence of a sports team is very unique. Uh, also, ownership is incredibly important in getting a sense for uh, the likelihood of success of an organization, um, but also the purpose behind why the club was created. And when I met the ownership group, um, I was super impressed, not just by their um, track record in creating a very successful business enterprise or two very successful business enterprise, let's say, across enterprise and, and worldwide technology, but also how, uh, how deeply connected they were to the city and how much they cared about St. Louis as a city. Um, you know, I think finding owners like that that are deeply committed um, to the city, but also to making sure that the club is a, uh, you know, a great example of what the city can become uh, is, uh, are some great ingredients to knowing that the club uh, has the right um, purpose behind it. So, so th that, those were just a few examples of why the club felt, felt like a great opportunity. But then I would also say when it comes to the league, it's really important time for soccer in the U.S., um, we know that the MLS has been growing consistently over the last 10 years, but also football or soccer as a sport has been growing. Um, not just the MLS, obviously U.S. men's national team, women's national team, even Liga MX, Premier League. So just in general, interest in the sport has been growing. Um, and we have the next three years of incredible soccer competitions coming to the U.S. Uh, we've got the Copa America coming next summer. Then we have the FIFA Club World Cup, a new expanded competition coming the summer after that. And then, of course, we've got the FIFA World Cup coming to the U.S. in 2026. So that plus Messi plus Apple, it just seems like so many things are coming together to make the next four or five year period incredibly exciting and potentially transformative for the sport in the country. Messi seemed to be a game changer for the league. Is that an understatement? I think um, short term, for sure, the impact that Messi has brought has been amazing. Um, but, you know, you, one has to be cautious on these things and know that, you know, short term audiences don't build long term sustainability either. Uh, so it is, of course, amazing to have Messi here. I'm an Argentinian by birth. So you can imagine <laughs> it's not going to be hard to convince me that having Messi close by is a, is a win. Um, and I have no doubt that it is bringing new eyeballs and hopefully new fans for the future of the league. And I think that's what, how we'll be able to measure, how we'll need to measure the success of Messi for the sport. We'll have to measure it after he's gone uh, to see how many fans have stayed as fans of the MLS and then uh, try to see how many of those will have joined or will have become kind of samplers of the product through Messi. You've touched on the potential for the league and soccer here in the U.S., but when you look at the league on a global scale, how do you size it up? I mean, on a global scale, there's many different ways in which you can compare leagues. You know, one would be uh, from the perspective of a sporting uh, competition or how difficult are the different leagues. I would say there's a pretty clear ranking amongst the top two, three, four leagues in the world, which are all in Europe. So the Premier League, this is probably Spanish La Liga, German Bundesliga. And I would say along that parameter, the U.S. is probably somewhere between the 10th and the 20th best league in the, in the world. Um, it has been increasing, increasing pretty steadily, uh, but of course, that's not the end game for this league. You know, we need to be able to get into that top 10 um, um, kind of competitive set and aspire to be in that top five. I mean, a market like the U.S. being probably the top league in pretty much 
any other major sport around the world, why shouldn't it be the top league in soccer one day as well? Uh, and I think that's where there's still a lot of uh, activity and a lot of things that we still need to do. And that's why the projects like these are exciting because it is about being able to make an impact and grow uh, not just the club, but also the sport nationwide. Any danger in growing too fast? I mean, I think it is. I mean, there's always some danger in growing too fast, but I don't see the league growing too fast. The league has been growing uh, pretty uh, steadily over the last 10 years. Um, and so, so I think over the next 10 years, it should be similar. It is true that we've got these unique opportunities in the, la in the next three years between Messi and these international competitions to see how much we can turbocharge that growth as well. I still don't expect any hockey stick uh, in terms of the key metrics around the league in the, in the short term. Um, but I do hope that, that these really important um, tailwinds uh, do help the league uh, to get on a, on a faster trajectory than over the last 10 years. Matt, I want to turn back to you. You've been through a lot getting this organized and seeing it through the first season. What sticks out? What are some memories, some experiences that when you think back just make you go, wow? I think, you know, especially looking at the at game day and, and rituals and rituals and traditions are something that, you know, you look around the world. I mean, some of these things take decades to to come to fruition. And so as a new club, I think we've been very deliberate about not to um, not to force some of these rituals and to create you know a platform for authenticity that once our fans and supporters organize themselves, um, what are things that are going to stick? And if you look at the match day experience at City Park, one thing that was a, a bit surprising to us is how, how early fans show up. 90-minute um, match, I think one of the reasons soccer has grown in popularity, especially amongst youth, is it's, it's pretty short. It's quick. It's high energy. Uh, no stoppages in play. Um, so, you know, you can get in and get out of a soccer match in a couple hours. Our fans want to make a half day or a whole day out of it. So that's been really surprising to see. And I think is it, it, again, speaks to the validation of bringing in local food partners. People want to get dinner at City Park. Um, they want to get there early to enjoy music. They want to, you know, be there for a couple hours before the actual match begins. So that's been really, really fun to see is just um, not only has our fans embraced it, um, you know, they want more out of it. They want to arrive early and stay late. So that's been really pretty amazing. This is Diego. I was going to add just a couple of other uh, uh, points in terms of big moments of uh, kind of, um, uh, let's call it satisfaction and success for <laughs> everyone that's been a part of this, including fans, hopefully. You know, we can't overlook the sporting success here. Uh, you know, at the beginning of any club's life as an expansion team, it is more likely in the MLS to not even qualify for playoffs than to qualify for playoffs. That is the benchmark that would be set at the beginning of the season for what a successful season on the pitch would look like. You look at where we ended the season now, uh, finished in first place of the Western Conference. That had never been done before by the new expansion in the history of the MLS. Uh, most number of wins of any new franchise. Um, and um, at the same point, with so many new players that have debuted in the league, some great uh, records broken by top quality uh, players like Roman Berkey, our goalkeeper, of course, Edu Leuven in terms of assists, um, even Bradley, our coach, first time as a head coach and mm -hmm. very strong candidate for coach of the year. So the sporting success has been really, uh, you know, a Cinderella fairy tale of, of success here uh, for, for St. Louis. And I would just add one last thing, which is every time we measure success for this club, while we look at all of the usual metrics of any, of any sports team, we also go back to the original purpose for why the club was founded. And that is 
to be about more than soccer. That's what the ownership family said from the very beginning when the license was announced, uh, and that's what they live by. Uh, so you know, while it's hard to measure that in such a short period of time, uh, when we do look at what has been happening, we do see, of course, the investment in the stadium around downtown, uh, downtown West uh, area, uh, and how much that is helping to revitalize that area. And since the awarding of the MLS team in August of 2019, more than a billion dollars, that's $1 billion in new real estate development and construction projects have either broke ground or been announced for downtown St. Louis. So that, of course, in a, you know, a very short period of time is an incredible statement of the, the North Star of this project and the way in which we want this project to be measured over the long term. I recall the news releases when you came on board, Diego, about possibly finding a way to make City SC eventually a global brand. What's the road to get to that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to put too much emphasis on becoming a global brand in the short term. You know, there are, I, I see becoming a global brand more as an output than as a uh, you know sort of short-term target that we should be uh, working towards and doing a lot to achieve now. No? I think we will have the potential to become a global brand the more we do things right, you know, day in and day out and year in and year out. Um, I would say that it will be very difficult to become a global brand if the league doesn't grow and become a global brand as well. Um, and then we need to have you know, the two key uh, ingredients to then becoming a global brand if the league is big enough is either success on the pitch or big name stars. Now, we've been pretty, pretty clear from the beginning that the big name stars uh, is not the model that the club has, has chosen to follow. And hopefully, uh, success can be one that we can achieve over the long term. So, so I, I definitely do think it's something that we should think about as uh, an aspiration and a dream of where we think this can go. Um, but we shouldn't be kind of worried about that in the short term. There's so many different things that we need to be focused on now that by getting those things right, the natural output or outcome of that should be that will become much more relevant globally. Matt, I'm going to wrap it up with you. I'm going to share a personal experience. Okay. I went to a D.C. United game mm -hmm. this year in Washington, and they had a little march of supporters mm -hmm. uh, coming to the stadium before the game, like we do here with City SC, coming from the tap room sure. right across the street. Sure. Doesn't compare. I think there may have been 12 supporters with D.C. United coming through. Now, they're not doing as well in the standings. But to me, that was a, a, a true sign of the connection with the community, a connection with the fans, and how successful that has been in the first season. Am I overstating that? No, and I think even to to uh, echo what what Diego was saying about being a global brand, I think we you know we aspire to 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 get there, but you know we're still so focused on building our community here right now and increasing awareness all across the region. And I think we've we've done that. I think we you know stepped into a a city that understands soccer, that loves soccer, um, has gone through peaks and valleys of different professional semi-professional teams and so we kind of we had an existing supporter group we just knew we had to lean in understand them help them grow help them diversify and i think you're seeing that now and so that you know that march of the match and kind of their self-organizing abilities to paint these beautiful tifos and to contribute to the game day experience the chance the anthems the standing all of that i think has brought people in. Um, St. Louis understands soccer, but I don't know that many people have been to a professional soccer game in Major League Soccer. For, so for them to enter the stadium and see so much of that supporter culture front and center, I think people are captivated by it because you just don't get it in other professional American sports.
That was St. Louis City SC Chief Experience Officer Matt Seebeck, as well as Team President and General Manager Diego Gigliani. They spoke earlier this week with St. Louis Public Radio's Wayne Pratt. The team will begin playoffs this Sunday as the number one seed in the Western Conference. This episode was produced by Wayne Pratt. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.